Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Allocate tokens to all the stakeholders in a certain uh, allocation that it in- incentivizes them to build on your product or protocol. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Yeah, guys, let me introduce uh, the speaker of uh, today's session. So Shiv Mehta is a limited partner at MHC Digital Finance Web3 Fund and an advisor at Graviton Web3 Accelerator. He is an experienced investor who has invested in several crypto startups and teaches crypto entrepreneurship at Masters Union School of Business. Uh, Mehta worked at National Australia Bank for over nine years and trade five before transitioning to Web3 and DeFi. He has a strong uh, ad- advocate for education in the field of Web3. Yeah, uh, Shiv Mehta, the floor is yours. You can start your session. So, um, see, Web3 projects, uh, I'm not sure how familiar the audience is with Web3 startups, um, but the general rule of thumb with Web3 startups, especially if you're building something which is uh, B2C rather than B2B, uh, you can build a Web3 startup that focuses on institutional investors, that focuses on businesses that want to get onto blockchain, or you can build a Web3 startup that focuses on nor- like people like uh, you know normal people. Let's say if somebody wants to uh, play Web2 games um, and uh, get rewarded in tokens, you are building a platform uh, where I can play a Web2 game uh, like Fortnite, and the amount of hours I'm playing on Fortnite, I get rewarded. Um, you know, with your startups tokens. Um, so in that, that case, you're building a retail audience-centric Web3 startup. And when you're building a Web3 startup that is uh, focused on, um, you know, the retail audience and not the, really the business side aspect of it, um, there is a lot of things that you can do and you should do before you start uh, your pre-seed round, seed round uh, fundraising. And one of that is building a community. Web3 Projects is all about community, which I'll showcase to you later on, on the differences between a Web3 startup and a Web2 startup. Uh, but uh, start building a community. And if your idea is good, the growth of your community is going to be great. Uh, that would demonstrate to the investor that uh, there is an interested user base, because if they are actively following your social media accounts, where you are writing content about your startup, or you are documenting your building process. People are interested. Website traffic is another metric uh, that makes the investors uh, interested. A lot of Web3 startups have got a Discord community. So the amount of engagement and uh, listen carefully to what I'm saying, which is that the amount of engagement, not the amount of Discord members, the amount of engagement among the Discord community of yours, how much are they talking about, how excited they are, it could be Telegram as well. It, can't, it doesn't need to be uh, platform-specific. Uh, it could be Twitter. Um, it could be any of the social media platforms. But if you can demonstrate that your idea has um, you know, created some sort of user interest, that's plus one for your project. And that is plus one from an investor perspective uh, in giving me the confidence that, yes, this is a good bet to invest in. So these are some of the basics that you need to get it right. All right, guys. So this is an example of a Web3 startup um, that uh, 
we didn't eventually invest in, uh, but they were successful in uh, raising money eventually. Um, since it is public, I thought of sharing this rather than any of the uh, confidential Web3 startup pitch decks that I've got in my library. But uh, Clearverse is, was a Web3 startup that wanted to raise money via the due diligence. Uh, they eventually got the funding from other investors, uh, but their, their uh, pitch deck is excellent. It's a very simple pitch deck. Um, and I would recommend that if you are creating a pitch deck to not overcomplicate it. So this pitch deck, you know, introducing the company, they're introducing the problem. There's no good way for signaling and discovering talent in DAOs and Web3. This is their solution. So one slide of problem, one slide of solution. This is their product that explains their MVP, what they have built so far, and their vision. This is their mission. This is their go-to-market strategy. You know, they've built an MVP. It's not like a pre-seed round. They are raising this for a seed round because they've built an MVP and now they need money in order to uh, do a go-to-market campaign. Some of the early users of the MVP, this is their testimonial, which is great. The team, this is their roadmap. This is the financials. Uh, which is how the money that they are raising and what are they going to use with that? What are they going to do with that money? So it's a very simple, but very effective, um, very effective pitch deck. When I saw this pitch deck, I was straight away interested because I didn't, it was not complicated. And um, then the investing team were in the call with Cleoverse. And uh, following that, uh, you know, we asked subsequent questions as to how big is the market, what your competitors are. Uh, they didn't have a competitor analysis, uh, but nevertheless, the pitch was so simple uh, and it was so clear what they were building and they already had an MVP. We could, uh, you know, go through their socials and identify uh, whether and validate what they were saying was correct or not. Um, and uh, that's that's basically it what you need a pitch deck which is very simple 10 12 slides you telling the story of why your startup idea is good and why i should invest uh, no need to complicate it with fancy technologies and so forth so coming back uh, just showing you how um you know the startup fundraising looks like uh pre-series b rounds um typically uh, so you start pre-seed round is basically when you have an idea or, you know, you just uh, just have built an MVP. That's generally the pre-seed round. You don't have many users. Uh, your monthly revenue, you're either pre-revenue or your monthly revenue is a max of $25,000. Um, you can expect to raise between zero to $750,000. Again, this is average. Like I said, I've seen people raising $150 million for pre-seed round, but they had the pedigree. They had like PhD. They had, you know, 10 to 15 PhDs and computer scientists who were building a blockchain and they were ex-co-founders as well uh, with successful exits. So it depends. But generally, if you're a first-time founder, you can't expect, uh, you know, to raise anywhere between zero to two to three million dollars for a Bet3 startup. Uh, but 
on average, people get between zero to seven fifty thousand uh, dollars. For example, Y Combinator gives five hundred thousand um, dollars for startups. Um, so expect generally expect anywhere between zero to seven fifty. Uh, dedicated pre-seed funds, angels like myself, friends, family, founders, um, accelerators. Uh, in the case of Web3, there are DAOs, which I'll explain further. Uh, these are generally the avenues to uh, raise money for your pre-seed idea. Seed round, early evidence of product market fit, um, your monthly revenues in six digits, uh, your round size would be bigger. Um, and then, you know, if you think that you need Seed Plus, it's just another fancy name, you can effectively make it a Seed round. Series A is when you're, you've got the validation that your startup is going places. Um, and now you need to grow your team. That's when you do the Series A round. Um, and that's usually a big round and, um, your monthly revenue is exceptional, you know, above $200,000, in which case you're doing very well. Now there is a difference, and this is where I'll be explaining the difference between a traditional startup and a Web3 startup. That's why in the previous slide, I showed you the stages of seed uh, funding, uh, stages of startup funding, which was from pre-seed to series A, because generally in the Web3 startup, generally it's it's not necessarily in all cases, but generally um, you don't have a round after series A. You don't have a round after series A in a Web3 startup because there is a token element to your Web3 startup generally. And if you got token, then majority of your um, investors are your community. In which case you wouldn't raise any further rounds. So uh, a traditional startup, you continue to raise series A, B, C, D. Um, the raise is generally to partly to increase the valuation, but as we recently noticed with Stripe, uh, their recent venture round, their valuation got decreased by 50%. Uh, that's because they are burning cash and they're looking to uh, reach a stage where they can do an IPO. So that's why they did a raise recently. Um, so traditional startups, you can do multiple series until you see an exit, which could be in the form of an IPO, or it could be a form uh, in the form of an acquisition by a larger company. Uh, so that's generally what you see in a traditional startup. But in a Web3 startup, you start with an idea, which could be in the pre-seed round. When you got your MVP built, you raise a seed round. Your MVP is doing well. Um, now you need money to really go, you know, against your competition. You raise a series A round. And then you have a token generation event in which a majority of your tokens would be owned by community in a decentralized uh, book building process uh, where you buy the tokens uh, either through an exchange or through a launch pad. And once the community owns majority of your tokens and is invested in your project, you don't necessarily see another seed round unless you get cornerstone investors um, and you sell them some of the team's tokens, some of the tokens that are to, with the team the uh, the team sells those tokens uh, so that they can get the liquidity in terms of dollars, which they can then use to uh, expand operations further. But it's rare. It happens, but it's rare. 
generally after Series A, you don't see uh, Web3 entrepreneurs uh, doing subsequent raises. So most of the Web3 startups now, uh, they have a company or it could be a DAO. And that company is creating a network and the ownership of that network um, is mostly with the community, which we call tokenomics. So that is something that is unique for a Web3 startup. Um, so for example, we've invested in a company, I'm not going to name it, but it's part of my portfolio. Um, they, they, they are an Australian operated company. We receive equity within their company and they're building a metaverse and we get tokens for their metaverse as well. So there is a certain percentage that we as venture capitalists, we own that company. And uh, within that metaverse that they've created where users can interact, just like how Sandbox or Decentraland is, and uh, users have token and use that token as their in metaverse currency, we get tokens as well. And that is part of the venture capital portfolio. But majority of the tokens are with the community because it needs to be a decentralized network. And you can't have a decentralized network if more than 50% of the tokens are with the team or the investors, in which case they are called the insiders. So that's why a good tokenomics always have 50% or above um, tokens allocated to the community. And that's how Web3 startup is different to a Web2 startup where you only invest in the company and the company owns um, you know, all the products. But in this case, the company builds a network or a decentralized application and that decentralized application is owned by a community eventually after the token generation event, which generally happens after a series A round. One key thing, since I've mentioned and exposed to you all to tokens, is that don't think of tokens as a business model. Tokens are a marketing tool. Well-designed token network. They carefully manage the distribution of the tokens. What I showed you in the previous slide was a simplified example. But you can have different stakeholders um, and be part of the tokenomics. So, for example, if, um, you know, coming back to that example that I had given you guys earlier, that if I'm building a platform where if I play Fortnite, the number of hours that I play Fortnite on it, I receive your startup ideas tokens, which I can then trade on an exchange. Uh, you know, one of the strategic partners of the startup could be, let's say, Twitch. I'm just thinking out loud and giving you an example. There is no startup like this, but I'm just giving you an example to demonstrate a point. Um, so if Twitch uh, is a partner, you need to carefully allocate them certain amount of tokens during that token planning um, that gives them the incentive to work hard for you as well. So tokens are not really a business model through which you earn revenue as such. They are a marketing tool that ensures that all network participants, you know, you'll create a business canvas uh, for your startup idea and you'll allocate, you know, who are going to be your users, who are going to be your partners. A good tokenomics will ensure that all the network participants have got enough incentive that they'll continue to work and benefit from your project. 
and the uh, eventual uh, and hopeful increase in value of your tokens. But tokens by itself is not a business model. Increase in the price of tokens is not your business model um, in, in a way that you're not going to earn money. You would earn money by selling tokens, but that shouldn't be the thought process. The thought process should be that your business model is generating fees from your platform. But it can't be that the appreciation of token price uh, uh, is your business model, because if that is the case, then eventually you'll sell out all your tokens to fund the operations. So tokens are a marketing tool. They are not a business tool. Revenue tool, that's what I meant. Uh, finally, what will a great Web3 product do? Um, no startup, forget about a Web3 product, uh, but no startup uh, can be successful if it doesn't meet a fundamental human need. There are six needs. There are six types of human needs. If it doesn't uh, fit into any of those six fundamental human needs, uh, then um, you, know, you need to go back to the drawing board and think about um, iterating your product uh, so that it fits that massive need. Um, other thing about crypto is that uh, the difference between crypto uh, startups and other startups, if you're building it on a blockchain, if you're building a decentralized application is that blockchains are slower than traditional databases. They are slower because it's decentralized. Um, so you need to build a product that warrants that trade-off of uh, having slow latency compared to a traditional database. So for example, at the moment, there are a lot of entrepreneurs trying to build decentralized social media apps. And the problem uh, at the moment that uh, those entrepreneurs are facing is that users uh, still you know, uh, consider convenience over their privacy. It's been well documented, the privacy breaches that have happened in some of the major social networking platforms that I'm not going to name, but um, it's well documented out there. Nevertheless, they have millions to billions of active users on a monthly basis still. And that just showcases to you that we as majority of the people value convenience over their privacy. And if that's the case, then... Um, they would not use a decentralized social networking app. There are many, Lens Protocol being one. So um, you need to think about the unique trade-off of crypto technologies. Um, Blockchain-enabled um, you know, applications are slower than their Web2 counterpart in most cases. Um, and uh, they also are not as user-friendly as Web2 because there is a wallet component involved in it. And wallets uh, till now are not as user friendly. They are getting there, but they are not as user friendly. So you got to think about that part as well. The reason why I'm telling you this is because, again, uh, I have the experience of uh, meeting so many founders who come up and say, we're building the Uber on blockchain. You're building Uber on blockchain. People don't care the audience uh, so far don't care uh, where how they access uber all they care is that the cost of their taxi ride or their the, the cost of their going from point a to point b is low and 
it's uh, fast. It's available anytime and it's fast. They don't want to go on a desktop and they don't want to, you know, create a wallet, sign a transaction. They want to do it very quickly. So uh, a lot of people think that copying a Web2 idea and just saying that we're building this for the Web3 blockchain uh, will get them funding. They might get funding, but they would not get funding from a sophisticated investor because there are some trade-offs for using crypto technologies. So that you need to think about that the need that you're solving for a Web3 product um, is that need so great that um, the user will be okay to consider your Web3 product uh, because of the trade-off, the better experience that you're, they're going to get on Web3. Uh, tokens are for customer acquisition. Like I said, it's, uh, it's a marketing tool. So tokens enables that ownership. I don't have uh, Uber tokens. So whether I use Uber or whether I use Lyft, I don't care. I'm not loyal. But if you've got tokens towards a project, you're more likely to use that product. Something similar that uh, airline companies do. You know, you get, you, you're a frequent flyer member of a particular airline. You're more likely to use that airline. Um, in addition to the, you know, the benefits that their airline does uh, that other airline doesn't do. But that loyalty factor comes in. So that's why tokens are a marketing tool, as I suggested earlier. Uh, enable stakeholder ownership. Again, guys, same thing as I mentioned in the previous slide. Um, allocate tokens to all the stakeholders in a certain uh, allocation that it in incentivizes them to build on your product or protocol and continue to work on it. And lastly, you need to operate in a transparent manner. Um, this is true for all startups, but it's more true for a Web3 startup. And that's basically because uh, we have a lot of bad actors in Web3 and blockchain. It's unfortunate. Um, this uh, whole Vetri revolution was started to democratize internet, um, but uh, unfortunately, a lot of bad actors have taken over that uh, use the funding pretty lazy with their approach, eventually do not build a great product. Um, so it's very important that if you raise funding and you get money, it's your responsibility since you've taken another individual's money or another group of individuals' money that uh, you give them proper follow-up. Um, you have a team of mentors and point of contacts uh, within you know, each investment houses through whom you've taken the money. Um, and uh, you operate in a very transparent manner. If you have problems, you can pay it. More likely, we'll be able to solve it as, as being investors because we've got connections. Um, so operate in a transparent manner. Now that we've covered the basics, um, how do you find a venture capitalist or an angel investor? Look, you need to do your research first. Um, LinkedIn is a great resource. Um, you know, most of, if anybody invests in startups professionally, they would be on LinkedIn um, or their team members would be on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a great resource to find investors. Um, once you find out and create a list of potential venture capitalists and investors, uh, it could be angel investors as well. 
uh, have a look on what kind of investments did they make. So I've invested in crypto startups. I've invested in AI and ed tech startup. Um, if for some reason, um, you know, somebody is creating a startup that is not blockchain, uh, but wants to create a CRM company, let's say they want to compete against Salesforce, I'll probably not be a potential investor for them because I've never invested in a CRM company. So um, if somebody wants to build a crypto startup, they'll look on LinkedIn, they look at potential VCs and angel investors, I'll probably come in that list um, and you should approach me then. You should leverage your network. Um, you are part of Women Who Code, contact your uh, volunteers at Women Who Code to contact your fellows at Women Who Code and ask them then, hey, you know, you helped conduct this blockchain, uh, you know, lecture series. Um, you must have connections. This is startup that kind of kind of building up. Can you help me to uh, set up a warm introduction with some of those VCs? Uh, this is my idea. So get warm intros, establish a personal connection, build your personal brand. Um, I was able to get into venture capital uh, without having any background in VC investing. Uh, and that was purely because I had a personal brand and I networked. So build your personal brand. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, building a personal brand is very important. If you're a team of two, three, four co-founders, you all don't need to do it if you don't want to do it, but at least one or two co-founders within that co-founding team, that you need to have a personal brand. Personal brand is very important nowadays. Uh, lastly, you, if you're very desperate, get capital. But during the initial stages where you're looking for capital, try to shortlist investors that are going to provide strategic value to you. Because I'll be honest with you, capital has become easy. And I'll demonstrate to you why I'm saying that. But capital is easy. What you want is capital that comes with strategic value. So all the startups that I've invested in, because I've studied blockchain and digital currencies as part of my MBA at NYU Stern School of Business, I'm able to provide that strategic value because I've studied this as an at an academic level. So people see me and they want to not only get my capital, but they want to get my, uh, I guess, the research that I've done on the landscape of crypto. They want that value uh, from me as well, being part of the investment cap table of theirs. I've invested in an AI company because I've done some AI courses um, as part of my MBA at NYU Stern. And I've got an interest and I kind of had a foresight that AI is coming in a way that uh, it came in ChatGPT. And I found a startup um, that fit my criteria, uh, whether it's successful or not, that's another story, but it fit my criteria. And I was able to invest it in a personal capacity uh, as an angel investor in it. And then when I came to India, I'm a big component of education. I like the startup that is doing something in financial education called LearnApp. Um, I invested in that as an angel investor because in India, crypto education isn't that much. And uh, the founder saw some value in me that I can probably teach or give some guidance on crypto education to him. So you want investors in your cap table that not only provide cap, uh, like capital, but they also provide uh, you with strategic value. Keep in mind that you got to be patient. If you're thinking that you're going to start this fundraising process and you get funding within one month, um, I want to give you the bad news that most likely it's not going to happen unless you are like 
one in a million, in which case, if you are great on you, you should, but to be realistic and to give yourself a buffer, um, give yourself a runway of around four or five months uh, for you to start the process of approaching investors and uh, getting money into your bank account or in your crypto wallets. And in, in, if in the case of you building a Web3 startup, uh, give yourself four to five months to complete this process of fundraising in the pre-seed round. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.